This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is sponsored by Grand Heron International. Through a growing network of credentialed and vetted coaches, Grand Heron International brings you on-demand coaching with Coaching On-Site and the Coaching Assistance Program for Corporations. Whether you are a company committed to investing in your leaders, an individual navigating a complex situation, or a coach searching for a superb network of coaches, visit us at GrandHeronInternational.com. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Have you ever had a bad boss? You're probably thinking, had, past tense. No, I have a bad one right now. Bad bosses, bad leadership are pandemic. Today, my guest is Dr. Morella DeCivita. Dr. Morella DeCivita is here to discuss the psychology of bad leadership. Dr. DeCivita is the president of Papillon MDC, an executive coaching and leadership development firm and founder of Grand Heron International, an on-demand coaching network for leaders in need of timely guidance when facing important decisions or complex situations. Dr. DeCivita, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Oh, hi, Eddie. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, everyone. Well, I'm excited to have you with us. Please tell my listeners more about you. So I am Canadian, based in Montreal, beautiful Montreal, Quebec, eastern part of Canada. I am a licensed psychologist in the province of Quebec and a professional certified coach. I'm also a master certified executive coach and a mentor coach to individuals, um, coaching students aiming to move forward in their coaching profession. And of course, I am also really excited about my role at Papillon MDC, working with a group of incredibly talented individuals and over at Grand Heron International with a group of really talented professional coaches. Thank you. Now, what motivated you to go into coaching? Um, perhaps it is best explained, or the way I like to uh, tell the story, it was a serendipitous encounter. I was hired by a national executive human capital firm that offered executive coaching to leaders. I had come on board as a licensed psychologist to conduct leadership assessments in the area of selection and development. And I had never heard of coaching before. In academia, I 
certainly where I was at. I had just finished a postdoctoral fellowship in behavioral medicine. And the word coach or the verb coaching was always used in relation to sports. And therefore, when I started working at this uh, human management capital firm, I first time heard the word coaching, first time assigned to be a coach, and I had no idea what all of this meant. And obviously, as a good academic student, I took books and started to read up on what is coaching. And I just fell in love. I fell in love with the concept of coaching. I fell in love with the process of coaching. I decided then to be trained as a coach, even though at the time, most of the colleagues, as well as um, some of the leaders, were they just had a different uh, vision of what a clinical psychologist could do. And most of them would say, well, you don't need to go for coach training. You just need to know how to work with people. And I disagreed. I really felt that this was a profession and I needed to be trained as a coach. And I went ahead with all the coach training um, schools that were recognized by the International Coach Federation and really worked hard for the last 14 years in perfecting the skills of a coach and sitting on both sides, that being a licensed psychologist and a professional certified coach. I, I know that there is a fundamental difference even though most people would say it's pretty similar, I, I don't see it that way. I can honestly say that becoming a coach made me a uh, better psychologist and being a psychologist, I believe, makes me a better coach as well. Isn't that interesting? Now, I ask that because I wanted to understand a little bit about your journey, but you said something that I find very intriguing, and I hear this a lot. In fact, uh, there's an organization I belong to, and this kind of conversation surfaced in the community thread that oftentimes when an individual has the education you have and the credentials of a psychologist or a psychiatrist, uh, you are a doctor. Uh, that there is not a need to get a coaching certification. But you said that even though you had that, you decided it was important. And uh, can you just isolate that again for my listeners who are listening and who may have uh, experience having these conversations about the pros and cons? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that we often read about uh, when researchers, for that matter, who are not trained coaches, uh, write about coaching and compare it to uh, psychotherapy, they often make the mistake of saying coaching is looking forward and psychotherapy is looking back. Um, not necessarily true. In fact, most of the what we refer to as being the third wave of cognitive behavioral therapy, and those are all the therapies that fall along the lines of acceptance, commitment, mindfulness, compassion, and many others, rational or emotive behavioral therapy, are all forward-looking. So that argument doesn't hold. And when people are, are inclined to say, well, as a psychologist, you can coach, that too doesn't hold. Just because the profession of coaching is about looking forward and some of the clinical orientations is also about looking forward. It doesn't mean that you will be a good coach just because you happen to be a good psychologist. I tend to see the difference along the following perhaps two dimensions or maybe two factors, one being the power of the relationship. In more often than not, which is not always the case, but more often than not, people will seek a psychologist because they do feel that the expert or the professional expert will know what to tell them insofar as what's not working for them. Or um, in many cases in the area of psychiatry, obviously you are making diagnosis. And so there is a power 
um, status dimension that you don't see in coaching. In coaching, it is a co-partnership between the individual and the coach, and it is the individual that is wholeheartedly and fully accountable and responsible. In fact, they are the experts of their lives. From the angle of a clinical psychologist, when you sit in this chair, you also and must recognize the importance of how you leverage your expertise because people are coming to you expecting to be told or to be guided. In fact, all psychotherapy interventions have a process. A psychologist is looking for a specific response in their patients, depending on what orientation they are using. Whereas in coaching, we are not looking for a specific uh, response from our client. We are following our clients and our, our clients are always leading us to where they want to go. Our job is to help the client position themselves for what they believe is most important in their lives. And so we listen in many ways, slightly more different in coaching than we would in, in a psychotherapy session. Interesting. And so you nicely noted that being a psychologist makes you a better coach and your coach training and practitioner uh, status there makes you a better psychologist. Yes, indeed it does. Um, becoming a coach has made me, quote unquote, relax my expert self. So even when I show up in my clinical practice and the orientation that I practice today, and I've been doing so for the past six years, is considered to be the third wave of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is acceptance and commitment therapy and compassion-focused therapy. So when I sit in the presence of my clients in clinical practice, I really am very mindful of not sitting with the mindset of an expert. I sit with the mindset of curiosity. I sit with the mindset of union and a, a partnership, which obviously comes from my training as a coach. When I sit in my coaching sessions and have the mindset of a coach, where my psychology self comes in is when a client is demonstrating significant um, distress. Uh, when a client is demonstrating significant emotions, I'm able to sit with them and um, be present for them ask questions that help them um, accept what they are currently exhibiting, what they are currently feeling, and be ready to engage in a coaching conversation. So I find that comes in, I, I would have, I'm hoping that my clients see this as being helpful, as opposed to trying to course correct what they're currently experiencing. So the psychologist of me recognizes the importance of allowing people to live with their emotions. Even in an executive coaching session, you could have executives show up with a specific emotion as opposed to trying to course correct it. Um, the psychologist in me shows up and is able to be with them, hold that space for them. And so in addition to your skills and credentials as a uh, psychologist, you have the International Coach Federation or ICF credential of PCC, Professional Certified Coach, and you weren't satisfied with that. You went and got another layer of coaching credential uh, through the MECO organization, which is where you and I met. I saw you deliver yes. a fantastic presentation. Can you tell people a little bit more about what MECO is and about the designation you hold there? 
So the designation that I hold with the Nico Leadership Institute is one that it separates uh, coaching, um, life coaching or personal coaching and career coaching separates it from the executive coaching space and what executive coaches do. It is considered to be more of an enterprise um, type of approach to coaching and getting that designation uh, for me, what it did is it solidified my years of having worked in the executive coaching space, having worked with corporations going in and recognizing that there is always three individuals that are equally accountable for the success of an individual. For instance, um, you've got the manager of the leader that is equally responsible for how successful the leader will be in his or her position. Obviously, you have the leader who is making the decision to be coached. And then you have all of the stakeholders in, in that particular corporation that is also, they are all equally responsible for the success of the individual. So the master corporate executive coach, what it symbolizes for me is a recognition um, that when I enter a corporation, I'm able to understand all the players. I'm able to work as a coach, bring forth my coaching skills within a very complex environment, which is often not the case when you work just one-on-one with individuals and there is no third party involved. Yes. Yes. And so we should note as well that Miko is the uh, measuring excellence in Executive Coaching uh, Institute. And you holding that credential is a proof positive that you aren't just an academic person showing up. Uh, you aren't just a Correct. clinician. You are a person who understands business and you are a master at coaching people in the enterprise. And so uh, very Correct. much appreciate being able to get your wisdom on today's topic. So through all of this, somehow you stumbled on this area of bad leadership. Talk <laughs> about that, please. So I, I want to begin by saying that I, I believe people are inherently good and creative. And so I step into this field of psychology and leadership from that point of view. And I have over the years been paying attention to what happens to individuals as they progress in their careers and slowly but surely gain um, greater positions of power. And power is always defined by um, the level of accountability and decision-making that they do have. And, and I've noticed how they change and why they change. So that's one angle. And the other angle or the other side, perhaps, maybe the same, if we take a look at one side of the coin, we'll take a look at the other, is the impact that bad leadership has on people. Um, and so that too became an area of focus in relation to the work that I do, whether I show up as an executive coach or when I show up to do more of the longitudinal long-term leadership program. And so I'm always looking at bad leadership from, from this angle. What happens to people as they progress in their careers and gain positions of power and why? Why do they change? And what happens to the individuals that report into these uh, executives that are demonstrating bad leadership? Well, what happens to people who are reporting into these bad leaders is uh, that there's just a ton of carnage that we, we yes. can look and see, right? In the episode that I, I ran a couple of months ago entitled A Hidden Figure, our mutual yes. friend, John Perry. Yes. Wonderful, uh, wonderful person. Wonderful. Isn't he? He's just a soul oh, yes. of the earth. 
And oh, he talked yes, yes. about how his uh, 27 year career at NASA as in the final days, he was an engineer with many patents, but in the final days, he's, he was the CFO. It came to an end because of the bad leadership he was suffering under. And yes. I use the word suffering deliberately yes. because it was yes. affecting him physically. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I have uh, been very careful to note and been paying attention and I made a decision um, just this past, uh, yeah, past spring to say, you know, I, I, it's time, it's time to put all of these ideas together in a book is the noticing of why they're changing. And um, there happens to be four areas, I believe, that we ought to be paying closer attention to as we help people ascend, progress in their career. And, and the following four are notion of power, notion of influence, notion of noticeability, and notion of being. Notion and as of power. I, Notion yeah, of influence. Of influence, notion nope. of no, noticeability, and notion of being. Okay. And and I can go through these very quickly. But one of the things that I remember, because I did listen to that wonderful podcast, among the uh, four dimensions, the one that I heard come through as I was listening to our friend talk about the experience that led to him leaving because physically he was sick, I believe had to do with notice of the notion of being. Because when we take a look at these four dimensions, the notion of power, um, we can easily see that to mean control over people and dynamics between people and group and command over others. And something happens to individuals as they move to positions of power along this dimension. The second one, notion of influence, that has to do with decision-making and the socio-political environment. Something shifts there as well. The third one, notice, uh, the notion of noticeability, has everything to do with attention toward the self and others and recognition of self and others. It's the last one that I think uh, often people don't pay enough attention to. So what happens to a human, what happens to a person as they move into these positions of power, and that is the notion of being. And that is ownership of self toward others and knowing the self in relation to others. And so I think, um, again, based on my observations, that people who manage to move into positions of power, if they do change, change along these dimensions, and we could see these dimensions along a continuum with some people exercising um, coercive control over people, coercive commanding of people versus sharing control with people and uh, rarely commanding people, right? So on a continuum, we can see this happening. The same thing is true with notion of influence. Um, all decisions are made by one person or decisions are shared. Sociopolitical context is super managed by one person or it is, once again, influenced by many. And so as we take a look at these four dimensions, I feel that the whole notion of good people but bad leadership has to do with not necessarily recognizing nor understanding how one can change along these four dimensions and what to do with it. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing those four dimensions of bad leadership with us. 
Well, what we're going to do right now is pause and have a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Simon T. Bailey, author, and you're listening to the Keep Leading Podcast with Eddie Turner. Okay, everyone, we're back. We're talking to Dr. Morella DeCivita, and she is talking to us about the psychology of bad leadership. Dr. DeCivita, before the break, you explained to us the four notions of bad leadership. But now the question is, what happens to the poor people who are stuck under these bad leaders? We used the example of our friend John Perry uh, from the recorded episode, but tell us about some of these other folks that you've studied. So one of the things that I've uh, also been very interested in, obviously it's, it's a question of, as you observe bad leaders, you have, you, you, you end up paying attention to what happens to people who are reporting into these bad leaders. And it just so happens that from my experience, I've, I've come to appreciate almost four types of experiences. You have what I refer to as the ambush experience. You've got the spotlight experience, the floundering experience, and the treadmill experience. Mm, those all sound interesting. Walk us through those, please. So the ambush experience is, these are leaders that are hiding in plain sight, but you don't see their impact until it's too late. Um, You are way too deep, either in your own investment of time and energy and commitment, where you now need to endure. You need to endure because you've invested so much. And usually people that finally come out, I've seen them in my practice, they're shocked, they're bewildered, They, they can't believe that they endured so much. And that's where the name, the ambush uh, experience comes from. The spotlight experience, um, these are individuals that as they look back, they've never received any feedback, no criticism about them, convincing that they were doing okay. At the same time, they, they, they recant, you know, they, they share with me some moments of self-doubt. Um, they were only seen when things were good and completely dismissed when, when they failed to do something. And at the same time, they uh, are able to also admit that these were leaders that were at times enduring, but very distant when things weren't going so well. So as long, you know, they shared some of the spotlight, uh, but at the same time, they feel or they felt once they come out of this experience, being used, a sense of being manipulated by these leaders. The third one is, I, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess, I, I sort of noticed uh, these leaders floundering, right? Um, they describe constantly getting feedback. One day you're up, one day you're down. Not sure when to speak or even how to speak. Very confused. Uh, lots of struggle happening at a cognitive level. Um, they feel like they are often left in the dark, dumbfounded by decisions that they've never seen coming. And when they finally pull out of these relationships, um, they're left with a lot of emotional 
baggage or there's some emotional unmet need that they are left to grapple with. And the last one is the treadmill experience. These are individuals that were forever, you know, striving, but never arriving. Um, It was never enough, never ending story, always behind in work and mandates, many trials before final decision is made, go back to decisions, even when they were almost done. And, And the feeling that they're left with is just sheer exhaustion. And so these seem to be the four different outcomes. And at the end, once these individuals pull out of these terrible relationships from, uh, from their leaders, but while they are in these uh, relationships, these seem to be the experiences. It's one or sometimes people will describe as having had um, a conversion of two of these four. But often I've noticed that people seem to describe experiences that fit these four categories. Is there one of those four that you are seeing more than the others? The ambush experience. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. Uh, these are leaders. Uh, so once again, uh, paying attention to how they themselves, well, this is from the leader point of view, how they themselves would be described along these four notions. Uh, once again, we can have a variety of different uh, outcomes in relation to these four notions. But in general, um, these are leaders that are well-spoken. They present very well. They are able to bring people along. People start to experience a sense of success. They experience a sense of trust. They feel that these are leaders that are going to be with them, that are going to support them. And then something happens, whether the leader himself or herself is no longer achieving certain targets, then change starts to happen. Um, And when the change starts to happen, these leaders start to change their ways. Uh, They are no longer as supportive. Um, They start to manipulate the trusting relationship that they have. And individuals are left often saying, you know, I can't leave. Um, he or she has so much on me. They've, uh, they've managed to put me in so many projects. I just can't pick up and go anymore. And what's really fascinating about the ambush experience is that oftentimes these individuals that so badly want to leave, they feel as though they can't leave. Because you see, these are leaders that were able to capture a sense of loyalty, a sense of duty. In their employees. Um, and once they finally see who their leaders are, more manipulative, they, they're stuck. They're stuck. So I've seen people stay in these relationships much longer than they should. Now, that's interesting. And, and when we look at the idea here of how many bad leaders we have, one of the things I said earlier is that it's pandemic. It's everywhere. It's global. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the uh, thing that we just see in one industry or just in one nation. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. something that people are experiencing and suffering under everywhere you go. And it's interesting that whenever I give my leadership speech, I open with asking the question about how many people are good leaders mm-hmm. without fail in every audience, every single hand goes up. <laughs> So if everybody believes they are a good leader, where are the bad leaders coming from? (laughs) Right. 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 And, you know, yeah, I I have to agree with you. Absolutely. So I asked this question. 
I say, put up your hand if you were voted in your position. So the look I get is, you know, like deer and headlights. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do. And they're looking at each other and saying, yeah, seriously, put up your hand if you were voted in your position. If your employees voted you in this position and no hands go up. And so that starts off the conversation around the earning of a position of leader and Mm -hmm. earning the leadership title. Because leadership, the way I define it is how you action yourself toward others. And obviously today we're talking about leaders in position of power. And that position of power comes with a great sense of responsibility and accountability for the well-being of people and the entity that everyone has made a decision to serve. So there's a huge sense of accountability. And I think one of the elements that we are not paying attention to, and for whatever reason, perhaps because um, information travels much faster than anything we've ever had to handle in the past, or perhaps because this whole notion of achievement has reached um, a level that most people cannot manage to sustain anymore. We're not looking closer to who are we promoting in these positions of power. So how can someone identify if they are a bad leader? What steps would you recommend they take if they're listening and trying to understand? So once again, you know, that question often um, leads me to ask myself, would a bad leader have the courage to have a third party speak with their team and and, and have um, almost a, a team profile? of where are they in so far as their experience of me, right? So if I'm, the, if I'm a leader and I want to know whether I'm a bad leader, am I creating the experience of being ambushed? Am I creating the experience of being in spotlight? Am I creating that experience? So I almost have to come with this level of awareness. And so if I'm coming with this level of awareness, then I already know from all of the notion, the notion of being, ownership of self, I've got it, right? And I may have lost my way around the notion of influence. Uh, I may have lost my way around the notion of power, but I've got this notion of being. And so now I'm going to go ahead and ask, can I, you know, can I get a, a support from human resources? And can I bring in a consultant that can help me figure out what my team is experiencing? Because that's the first place you want to go. You know, the idea of being voted in your position really does mean would people want to work for you? You know, if this position becomes completely available and everyone could apply, and now everyone that gets person that gets the job, people have to vote them in. Then you do want to be you want to start with the people. What are they experiencing of you? So that's the first. Unfortunately, we also know that those kinds of intervention often, again, if we go back to these four categories, if you are in the ambush experience category and you finally realize that you've been ambushed, you don't trust the system anymore. Right? You don't trust that what you are going to be sharing with a third party will make its way to your leader in the most uh, effective, in the most benevolent way, and of course, in, in a manner that is efficient for everyone. So once again, it becomes harder to go to the team and ask. So I go back to the individual. And so the question I would have to ask a leader is, would what you are currently experiencing as the leader that you see yourself being? Is this congruent with the things that are really important to you? 
And so what are the things that are really important to you? And so we start there. Usually what you hear these leaders talk about are the things that perhaps you and I will find to be equally important, such as a trust, harmony, success. And then we take a look at what does that success look like for them. So again, I although I'm I'm also very driven for team interventions, I recognize that in the position of a bad leader, um, anyone that's in any of these categories will have a hard time sharing what that experience is like. Thank you. All right. Well, what advice do you have for listeners who are suffering from bad leadership? For those who are suffering from bad leadership, there's never a specific one solution. The place to begin is one that allows you to first find a trusted, whether it be a colleague to begin with, uh, potentially not a colleague that's in the same organization as you, a colleague that is outside of your organization, and, and begin the process of sharing. Um, once that process of sharing takes place, there might be more courage on the part of the individual to seek professional support. And that could be in the form of a coach outside of the organization or even a mentor. And once you have that as support, then the next step is to sit down with your family. I've often, I've often seen uh, women leaders having a hard time getting out of these experiences, especially if they happen to be the main breadwinner of their family. And so sitting down with your spouse after you've had an opportunity to share with a trusted mentor or colleague and then share with a coach, sit down with your partner and and truly come up with a plan. What will it look like once I exit? What will that look like for the family? Because um, the support of a family is so critical in getting out of these relationships. Sometimes we underestimate the power of support from family members but it is, in fact, very critical. I've often seen a lot of these exits not fully come to the place where people would want. So they start the exit process and then they get very scared and they pull out and, and they just tell themselves a story that things will get better and they often don't get better. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. So how would you summarize our conversation today? What message would you want our listeners to really take away from our time? The whole notion of uh, bad leadership, I want people to recognize that no one sets out to be a bad leader. I really believe that no one sets out to be a bad leader. And if you happen to be surrounded by people that are caring about you and, and do show up and have the courage to tell you, listen, your leadership is not working for some people on our team, it's time for you to listen. And I want you to know that these four dimensions, they're malleable. We can shift at any point along these four dimensions. And so that's my message to those who, once again, are surrounded by people that come to them and share something is not right with your leadership. Pay attention. For those who happen to be within a bad leadership experience or are living it right now, I also want you to keep in mind that no one comes into that relationship wanting to hurt you purposely. And what's really important here is that you pull back, uh, regroup, ask yourself what's important to me, and always remember that what you think is immediately important is potentially not where you should be focusing your attention. Bring yourself to a position of what is fundamentally important. And what is fundamentally important is your well-being, your health, 
and your state of mind. And it's time for you to find the support you need and move. Um, because life, life is just so precious. And, and uh, we should be living our, our best lives as, um, as quickly as possible. Thank you. Well, here on the Keep Leading Podcast, we always like to share words of wisdom with our leaders to help them keep leading. Do you have a leadership quote or advice that you can share with our leaders? You know, the, the quote that comes to mind, um, it's actually two quotes, but I'll go with the one that just popped up. And that is, you are enough. Mm. So what? You are enough. Um, and so don't let anyone tell you that um, you need to change. You need to, um, it's certainly not now I'm speaking to those who are living through a bad leadership. Just remember, um, fundamentally important, what matters is you. And you are enough. You have all you need to pull yourself out of these relationships and live your best life. You are enough. Well, thank you. Where can my listeners learn more about you? So they can uh, visit our website. That would be Papillon MDC. Papillon is French for butterfly. So Papillon MDC. And for those who are seeking coaching in the moment and just would like to work with a coach as the need arises, please visit us at Grand Heron International. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And we will certainly put those in the show notes so that folks can look you up, connect with you online and take advantage of the service that your organization offers. You're a psychologist who's been published extensively in academia, medical and psychology journals. And so I'm just so excited to have you here. In addition to your stellar coaching credentials, it really is a delight to have you come on the Keep Leading Podcast, Dr. DeSavita, and share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for being a guest. Well, thank you so much, Eddie, for giving me the opportunity to sit here with you, even though it's virtual, I'm sitting here with you um, to be able to speak to your listeners. And I'm very, very grateful very grateful to to our partnership. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And thank you for listening. That concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.